continuing our series, as Josh noted earlier, in the, going through the Apostles' Creed, this, this confession of faith that we have used quite a bit over our 10 years of existence. And uh, we have come now to uh, this, this statement of, from there, he will come to judge the quick, or the living, and the dead. He will come to judge the living and the dead. So this is this picture of Jesus returning to judge the living and the dead. So people are, uh, everybody gets excited talking about judgment. Um, a fun topic. I, I, I actually, I, you know, there's, there's a heaviness to this, let's, let's be clear. But I think there is, is a great deal of hope uh, in this phrase, in this truth that comes from the scripture. And we find here in this psalm of praise, Psalm 98, uh, this picture of praising God and recognizing his judgment, his justice that comes. It, it sits with us in this weird way because we have all kinds of experiences or ideas when we think about judgment. And, um, and, and they're often not good, right? And when, it's, when we see unfair judgment, it, it makes us angry, really. One of my least favorite characters in all of literature and film is Dolores Umbridge. If you're a, a Harry, if you, uh, I, 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 people agree with me. Uh, she's terrible. Uh, so this is this is from Harry Potter, and uh, Dolores Umbridge is this like really she's just a sappy, sweet lady who is not actually sweet at all. She is she is evil, and uh, she she enacts all these rules at the school, and she's overseeing people, and she's making all these judgments uh, that are not based in truth at all, and it is. It just drives you crazy. And then there's the scene in The Deathly Hallows, both the book and the movie, where she is at the Ministry of Magic, and she is judging uh, just this normal person. And you know that everything coming out of her mouth is, is a lie. And, and, and you just you, you see the desire and your desire for uh, justice to happen because you see the injustice that is occurring. And, and it, it, it just, it's, it's, it brings anger. Your, your only response is, is, is at least frustration, right? And, and, and that sits with us uh, in this powerful way because uh, we can all think of that unfair judge, right? And maybe it's somebody uh, not as extreme as this, but it, it, it li- is likely that many of you are thinking about something that actually happened in real life, uh, either to you or to somebody that you know. And, and it, it's... Uh, it, it builds within you this, at the very least, frustration. And, and it seems that the judgment uh, can either be arbitrary at best and, and evil at worst. And, and, and we, we take those thoughts of the, the injustice that we see coming and we, we put them on, on God. So the idea of God as judge uh, often s- sits really uncomfortably with us because we think that he, he's not doing it correctly. Either we see that the way that the world is working and we make a judgment ourselves, we, we become the judge of the judge, essentially. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls that God in the dock. That is God in the place of judgment. We become the judge. We, we do that. We think he's not doing it correctly. or we, we think that it's arbitrary, right? We think that his judgment is, is again, at best arbitrary and maybe at worst even uh, evil. And yet what we find here in this psalm and we find in the rest of scripture is this picture of God's judgment actually giving us reason to praise him because it brings us hope. 
And so three points this morning are that we see that there is the opportunity to find joy in judgment, justice in judgment, and salvation in judgment. So joy in judgment, justice in judgment, and salvation in judgment. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to you and your work and your promises, and that we would find joy, even in this line from the Apostles' Creed that, that teaches this scriptural truth that from there you have risen uh, and ascended into heaven, that from there you will come to judge the living and the dead. May that bring us joy. May that bring justice, and may that bring salvation so that we might hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm that ends in verse 9 with the declaration of the Lord coming to judge the earth, judging with righteousness and the peoples with equity, that this is a part of the whole of Psalm 98. We read the first four verses as a part of our call to worship this morning. And it is a psalm of praise. It is very clearly a psalm of praise, praising God. Uh, some of us are familiar with Joy to the World, Isaac Watts, Christmas carol, hymn, and it is based here on Psalm 98. And the whole psalm is one of praise. And this shift to judgment in verse 9 is not a shift away from praise in the least. It is a, a full recognition that this is a part of the praising of God. There is a joy that the psalmist has in recognizing that God comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. There is a, a hope and a celebration of God's judgment here. This fits even, the judgment again fits with the rest of it that is this call to make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing Praises. We even see it in the verses that were read uh, just before by Carrie. The, in verse 8, this is this invitation to let all of creation, all of creation, let the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy. We see this progression. The first three verses of chapter 98, this psalm, are a call to the people of God to praise. And then there is a call for all the peoples of the earth to praise in verses Four through six, and then seven through nine is all of creation. Everything that was created should praise God. And within that is this recognition of the judgment of God. There's this clear picture that the psalmist has that the judgment of God is something to rejoice in. And we recognize, let's be honest, that's not always the way that we think about judgment. It sits with us in, in uncomfortable ways for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is it just, it just seems mean, right? It just seems mean that God would, would judge. We don't like this idea of, of him um, of bringing judgment upon anybody, right? Whether it's us, and we don't like that idea, or, or other people. I think we're going to see in a moment that we actually don't really think that completely. But there's some sense in which, in our culture in particular, where uh, tolerance is one, defined as one of the highest values that you can have, and two, defined in a very particular way, that is that you, you would never speak harshly into somebody else's life or call into question anything about them or anything that they've done, that, that we find this, this position of, of recognizing the judgment of God, it's, it seems mean. It's a little uncomfortable. But there's also the reality that we've, we've experienced either ourselves or seen others experience really unfair judgments. So we, we know that unfair judgments occur. We, we know that 
uh, no justice system is perfect. We know that no judge on this earth is perfect, that there are all kinds of mistakes that are made, whether it be in big system-wide uh, brokenness that we've seen in the history of our, uh, our country in all kinds of ways. And you know, we, race is one that we talk about particularly, that there's a lot of injustice that we've seen and continue to see. There's, uh, so it could be systems that we see where people don't receive justice and that sits uncomfortably with us, but, but often it just hits closer to home. We, we've experienced it in our own relationships. And maybe it's close relationships within family and conflicts that occur and judgments are made and they're, they're unfair. We, we realize, people don't understand the full picture. They're making this judgment. Maybe it's a, somebody that we work with, whether a boss or HR or just a coworker and judgments are made. And like, you, you don't understand the full picture and, and, and we see that, that injustice is done. And so the idea of judgment sits uncomfortably with us because we've experienced it in unfair ways. We've seen that miscarriage of justice. And unfortunately, there are many people that have experienced that even in the church. They've experienced that from other people in informal and formal ways and uh, in really hurtful ways. And so it, it puts us in this position of coming to the idea of, of a judgmental God being uncomfortable. And, and, and that's absolutely understandable. And yet I hope that the picture that we find here in Psalm 98 and in other passages uh, encourage us to, to recognize not to gloss over those problems, but to move forward with hope. But the last reason that it that sits uncomfortably with us is we don't want to be judged. You know, if we're, if we're honest, we, we recognize that we're not perfect, right? That we don't live up to the standard, whatever that standard may be. Maybe it's God's revealed standard for us in his word that we recognize that we don't live up to. We, we recognize Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But even if we're not followers of Jesus, we, we've set up a different standard for us. And, and even there, we recognize we don't live up to that standard either. The idea of, of being completely exposed, that, that others would know everything that I've done, if we took it a step further, even everything that I've thought, it, we, we tremble to think about how people might think of us or judge us, or how God might do that. There, there's an episode of a show on Netflix that kind of looks into the future and thinks about the places that technology might go, and everybody at this point in the future was impl uh, implanted with a device that, that essentially kept a record of everything that they saw and did, and, uh, and, and even kept some of the memories there, right? So that you could just go back and, uh, and look and see what happened. And uh, the idea, that, that would be the case for you. I mean, sometimes it's just like, oh, I would love to remember. But if you actually had all of that on film and that you were going to show it, who would you want to show it to? Let me think about, you know, pick a few people in the room that you think, oh, I'll show all of that. To... It, it's a, it sits a little bit uncomfortably, right? Because even if you have a different standard than God's standard, none of us live up to it completely. We, 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 just, we just don't. Uh, we, we fall short, uh, whatever that might be. And so... This idea of being judged ourselves is a bit terrifying. Again, there's, there's hope that comes because the, the one who brings this judgment, the one who ascended, who from there will come, it is on Jesus' return, to judge the living and the dead, he is the one that enacts this judgment. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 10, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Romans 19, this picture of I'm sorry, Revelation 
uh, verse 19, chapter 19, this picture of uh, God judging through Jesus, Jesus being that judge. It is, it is both, I think, comforting and a bit terrifying. I think that we, if we look to him and trust in him, we're invited to find incredible hope here. That Jesus enacts this judgment with righteousness and equity, with justice and love and salvation. We'll see that through this passage, that there is, is something beautiful and freeing here in the picture of Jesus fulfilling Psalm 98, verse 9. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and peoples with equity. Jesus is, is coming in this beautiful and powerful way. And there is in that freedom. That there is joy to be had here because we're free from having to judge ourselves. That is, to ourselves be the judge, whether that's of ourselves or of other people. We constantly feel this pressure. Am I living up? Am I doing it right? If, if we fall into that very normal, natural, very accepted way of thinking about things of, you know, my good has to outweigh my bad, and that, that even seeps into the church, not a gospel picture at all, it never will. Anyway, if we, if we end up there, then we find ourselves in that position of, Judging ourselves. Am I living up to it? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? You know, and you take that in broadly, more broadly in our culture. We have to define ourselves as individuals. That's what we're invited into. You be yourself, completely free from anything else, except what I'm telling you in the midst of this, uh, and your culture is telling you, and that you have to not only identify yourself, you have to make the judgment about whether you're living up to your true self as you have defined it. And then... You're obviously bringing in other people's judgments in that, even though you're not supposed to. And, and all of this pressure comes to, to judge yourself correctly. That, that is oppressive, and we're freed from that. And then we find this, this invitation as well to, to free ourselves from judging other people. We're constantly finding ourselves in this position of, of judging others. And not just being judgmental, but we feel this pressure to know what's right and wrong in every situation and, and to be able to declare it rightly. Whether that's in the politics that are happening here or whether that's in conflicts around the world, there is this pressure to, to be able to judge a situation correctly and then also be able to, at some level, post about it so that you demonstrate that you have the correct judgment about a particular situation, right? In the midst of just horrible, horrible evils, we're supposed to be able to just name it all. And it's often, because all of us fall short, right? It's, it's really complicated. And there's lots of brokenness on all sides. And so to find ourselves in this, in this pressure to, to name all of it rightly is, is overwhelming. And God as judge frees us from that. I mean, think about it. Have, have you ever end up in, a, in an argument with somebody and you have fought hard in that argument and then realized later that uh, you, you were actually not right? You remembered something completely incorrectly? It's almost like that. Uh, that I, I hope that's happened to you because if it hasn't happened to you, then you just haven't realized what you were, that you were wrong at some point, right? Um, there, there's a, the, a, an ad campaign. I don't even remember who it is. Uh, so they didn't do their job. But it's, uh, it's the, that somebody comes in, two people are having an argument, and the replay official comes in, just over normal life stuff. One of them is like somebody left the sunroof open, and it, it's wet inside the car when they get in. 
and they're arguing about, and it's like, no, it wasn't me, yeah, it was you, and, uh, and then the replay official comes in, and yeah, it was the guy who said it wasn't him, right? We don't, we don't have that, but uh, sometimes that happens in other ways that our, uh, our mistake is revealed to us, and we've been standing strong on that that's not the way that it, it happened, and it did, right? I mean, it's just this reminder that we can't be an accurate judge of even ourselves and our own experience. This frees us to have joy in one who, who brings a judgment that is righteous and equitable, that is right all the time. Because the second point is that, that there is justice in judgment. It is something that we should long for and desire, that is. Judgment is something good. It is, it is actually things made right. We know this. We long for justice. And, and to be clear, even, just, I'm going to step back for one second real quick because I meant to say this. Uh, we trust in God's justice and his judgment, right? That doesn't mean that we don't fight for it while we're here. And particularly justice for other people. We, we are a part of seeing that justice come to bear in this world as much as we can be. But it will never be made right. The promise is until Jesus returns, until he, from there he comes He returns to judge the living and the dead. That's when all things are made right. That's when ultimate justice is done. And that we we long for that. I mean, we think about the way that we react in movies when injustice is done. We think about our reaction to Umbridge or other villains. And and we long for things to be made right. And this is also true in the real world as well. We long for there to, we, we, we want there to be consequences when there is deep evil. We want there to be consequences for Putin invading Ukraine, right? And just saying, it's mine, I'm going to take it, and thousands of people are going to die. There should be consequences for that, and we long for that to happen. We, we, we want to say that no matter how much brokenness there is on either side, that the terrorist attack from Hamas is, is wrong, and that this should not happen, and there should be consequences for that. And that's what, you know, big-scale stuff, right? But this is true... Uh, in, in our lives and in the things that we see happen around us, we, we, we long for justice to be done. If somebody really hurts you or somebody in your family, I mean, God forbid that it be something just horrible that there's a, a trial for. You long for, in the midst of that trial, for there to be justice done. Our, our hearts long for that. They're made for that. Rightly so. We don't just say, ah, that's fine. Let's just move on. There were extenuating circumstances. and that, that's, not, that's not the way we were made. And we long for it for a reason because there's a promise that one day it will come. And and this idea of there is real brokenness and real injustice in the world pushes us to actually desire a a God who would bring judgment and justice. That sometimes we get caught up in the things are pretty good, which is actually a a failure uh, to understand the reality of, of the world and the brokenness that exists. Sometimes we, we think, oh no, I've experienced it and I long for that justice. But sometimes we, we want to push that aside. Miroslav Volf is a philosopher and Yale professor, a, a Croatian Christian, uh, and he has written about this and spoken about this uh, in multiple places, but in his writing, Exclusion and Embrace, uh, I'm gonna read some of what he says. And he says, my thesis, this is, there's, there's the argument Made, and this would be pretty common in just our, our uh, culture today, that nonviolence uh, requires 
uh, you know, a, a God that is not one of judgment. That feels violent. It feels wrong, right? This is what he says. He says, my thesis that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many Christians, especially in the West. And that he's using divine vengeance as justice. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that justice will come. But to the person inclined to dismiss this idea, I suggest imagining that you're delivering a lecture in a war zone, where I've delivered this chapter as a paper. Among your listeners are people whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned, and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. He says, it takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence is a result of a God who refuses to judge. In a scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, the ideal will invariably die, like other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. In a world of violence, it would not be worthy of God not to wield the sword. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. The promise of justice, of judgment, is that he will make all things right. That he is going to fix what is broken. That all sad things will become untrue. That is the promise of God's righteous judgment and justice. So that it brings hope for those, hope for those who have been wronged. Who have experienced injustice and unfair judgments themselves. Who have experienced real sin against them. There is hope because God is going to make all things right. It also can even be hopeful for those who, of us who have wronged others. We'll see that mostly in the salvation in the midst of judgment. But, but we find that his judgment is beautiful and true because it comes, verse 9, with righteousness and equity. It can be trusted. It's righteous. It is right and perfect. The problem that we often see with the judgment that goes awry is that it comes from people who are broken, you and me, to be clear, and people like us, people who don't have the full picture, people who make decisions based on their own biases, their own experience, that don't see the full picture. We remember here that this psalm, praising God for who he is, for his justice and his judgment, there's a recognition that this is Yahweh, the God who has relationship with his people, but also is the one who created the world and sustains it, that he knows all, he sees all, he's in control of all, so that his judgment is powerful and true, that he is not caught off guard ever, so that his judgment is right, that it is just that he is not blinded by any kind of limited view, that it, 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 th- it throws out the, the possibility of saying, oh, but, but you don't understand what, what I've been through, or you don't understand what they've been through, or what about, what about this over here? No, he knows all of that way better than any one of us. And so his judgment is perfect, equitable, just, righteous. It brings incredible hope. It has been years and years and years since I've seen it. I think there's a new version of Perry Mason. I haven't seen it. Uh, so I, no comment on the, the new version. And if you're not familiar with Perry Mason, it's an old show where Perry Mason is a lawyer. And it's, every episode was uh, him trying a case. And at the end, he's such a good lawyer that he would bring to bear something, some truth that was missing. 
And the judge in the, the show was always, he was always going to rule impartially. So when all the, the, the truth was revealed and out there, justice would be done. You know, it, it, it came originally in an era when there were always happy endings uh, in shows, right? And so you, you, you got excited about that moment where Perry Mason was going to bring out that truth. The truth is revealed. The right judgment can be made. Yay. And, you know, there's something like we, we, we appreciate shows like that sometimes because, again, it, it hits at our longing for justice to be done. But, but here's the reality. God never is waiting as the judge. He's never waiting for that, that truth that was missing to, to be revealed to him. He knows it always. So we have hope that his judgments are right and good and true. And again, we can still, in the midst of that, find ourselves in a place where that's a little bit terrifying because he's going to judge us. The last point, after finding joy and justice and judgment, is that we find salvation linked to his judgment. It's wrapped up, in fact, in his love and salvation. Again, Psalm 98 here, there's this this picture of praising God for who he is. It starts with recognizing that he is worthy of praise because of his salvation. The Lord, verse 2, has made known his salvation and has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. That's all a part of this same passage, the same psalm of praise where he's recognizing the justice of God. It fits with his love and his salvation that comes for his people. And it wasn't because the Israelites were getting it right. If you've read almost any of the Old Testament, we're in Judges in our Sunday school class, they, they, uh, they don't get it. There's some crazy stuff that happens and that they do. The people of Israel, they, ne- they never get it. That's why Jesus ends up coming, right? So they don't get it. And yet God has poured out his love and salvation upon them. So it's not, okay, if you just get it enough, if you do right, if you deserve the right judgment, then you get it. No, that's not how salvation works. Why not? Because we recognize that even when we mess up, he offers hope. We know from earlier in the creed, Todd preached a few weeks ago on the fact that he was crucified, dead, and buried. Remember what that was. That was the judgment of God being poured out on Jesus instead of on us. So that Karl Barth says, the theologian says, Jesus is the judge who was himself judged for us. He's the judge, but he himself was judged for those who trust in him. The Heidelberg Catechism, which has questions for each of the, they they call them articles of the creed. This is what it says uh, about this particular issue, recognizing by the question that there is comfort in this truth. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly wait as judge from heaven, the very same person Who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me? He will cast all his enemies and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. That is the justice that he promises. But he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. 
The, the invitation is to recognize that none of us stand in judgment. But if we trust in him, then we're free from that judgment. It's been poured out upon him. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's the hope that is promised for you and for me, to trust in him that the judge has himself been judged so that we might be free from that judgment, so that we might be embraced and brought up into his family, forgiven of our sin, welcomed as sons and daughters into his family. And we rejoice in that. And we rejoice in the fact that he promises that one day he's going to come back and he's going to make it completely right in all injustice, in all brokenness, and all of that will be made right. That he will perfectly reign and rule. We, we, we long for that moment when we're watching the movie, when we're watching or reading Harry Potter, that the truth comes out and that Dolores Umbridge is held to account. And when that moment happens, we rejoice. We celebrate. And it makes us long for it in real life, ultimately and finally. And so we find in Revelation 22, where there's this picture of Jesus himself as the judge, this vision of him coming again to judge the world, that it's, it's a bit terrifying, it's a bit scary, and yet there is great hope that is offered so that John, as he sees this vision of Jesus coming back, he at the end says, when Jesus says, I will come, he, John says, Come, Jesus, come quickly. And maybe you've heard somebody, if you've been around in the church for a long time, when something really broken and messed up happens, it's come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Because there's a promise that at that moment, that he comes to judge the living and the dead, that he is bringing justice, that he is making things right. That is the hope that he offers. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Let's pray.